0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. We're continuing our series, and I'm continuing it this morning, on um, this. what we've titled this is Great Lessons from the lesser known. Basically, these are things we need to know from people we probably haven't heard of. Or if you have heard of them, you don't totally know the full story. I love digging into some of these characters that some, you, you know of them or you've heard of them but you don't really know them. And so we're going to be looking at that. And that's what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks and that's what I'm going to be doing today. But we're looking at men and women of the Old Testament. Unless you've really studied it, unless you've really read it thoroughly, you may have missed some of the lessons that we find from these people. So we're focusing on these men and women from thousands of years ago that a moment at time that God did something in their life or God used them to accomplish something. But we're looking at that and seeing what can we learn from that today. What can we apply to our lives today from this this person that did something thousands of years ago. But here's the cool thing. That's what the Bible is all about. That's what the Word of God is all about. It, It is always relevant. There's always something for your life. There's always something to challenge you, to encourage you, to transform you. It's always there. See, the thing about the Word of God, you don't have to make it relevant. It is relevant. You just have to show how it is relevant. And so that's my hope that that's what we're going to do today. We're going to be in the book of 2 Kings. If you want to pull out the Bible in front of you, you can look at 2 Kings. And it's in the Old Testament. And uh, it's just if this helps, it's after 1 Kings. I don't know if that helps you at all. But you can find that. We're going to be in chapter 22. But I want to give a little bit of... Uh, setup of the book and also before the chapter of 22, 2 Kings is actually a narrative history and prophecy concerning Israel, but it also looks at kings that ruled during the time. That's why it's called kings. And there are many ups and downs with these kings. To be honest with you, when you read through it, they're mostly downs, mostly downs, mostly a bunch of knuckleheaded kings that just decided to do their own thing and the whole nation paid for it. And you'll see the story of this. And actually, there were kings that decided, <clears throat> excuse me, that they were turning from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they just thought, you know what? We're going to go our own way. We're go our own thing. And they began worshiping other gods. They began making golden calves and having people worship the golden calves. They were making objects as God. And everything in their society shifted from what God instructed them to do what they wanted to do, what they thought would be the best thing, what they thought would be the solution. Really, it was a real sign of arrogance. And so, we come to 2 Kings. Chapter 22 is where we're going to be, but leading up to chapter 22, there are some tragic stories. One king after another king, flushing their nation down the toilet And not just violating the laws of God, but actually rejecting God completely. And then we come to chapter 21, right before this chapter we're about to look at, and we see a king, his name is Manasseh. King Manasseh was actually one of the worst kings. He was a filthy king. Matter of fact, under his reign, thousands of children were sacrificed on the altars that he created. Imagine this, a, a nation that God had set up to honor Him, to obey His laws, comes to the place where now they were sacrificing their own children on the altar of God's that they created themselves. It's actually one of the darkest seasons of Israel's entire history. The nation is in shambles. They, every, every godly temple no longer exists anymore. It's not being used anymore. Those who used to follow the old way are very few and far between. And we come to chapter 22. And we begin to read this remarkable story of a young man named Josiah. Josiah was a a young king. Actually, when we come to chapter 22, just to give you some timelines here, the the year is 640 B.C. And a boy named Josiah was appointed king at the age of eight. I don't know about you, but my children at the age of eight had no business like doing, being in the kitchen, let alone running a nation. <laughs> but this, this boy was anointed and appointed king. And at the age of 26, for some unknown reasons, no one knows why, many people have their speculation, but you cannot find out why or find in Scripture why this king begins to seek the one true God. He begins to restore the temple that God had instructed the people of Israel to worship in and to bring honor and worship and glory to him in this temple. But this, these, this temple had not been abandoned by the kings before him. And he found a priest, Hilkiah, a priest of the old order, a priest of God's order, and he commanded him to get the temple ready. He commanded him to clean it out. So Hilkiah goes into the temple, he begins cleaning, he, he, he pulls out the pledge and he begins dusting everything off and he gets the shop backs out and he's beating the curtains and getting everything out. And while he is cleaning, we, it doesn't say where he found this, but I, I like to envision he kind of pulled back an old board and, and he found a scroll. He actually found one of the only remaining scrolls of scripture that that existed at the time, that actually survived the reign of King Manasseh because King Manasseh was out to destroy everything that was godly. And he brought this scroll to Josiah. And he begins to read it. So Hilkiah unrolls it and he comes to Josiah and he begins to read the words on this scroll. And then we come to 2 Kings 22 Verse 11, and this is what happens when King Josiah hears the words from the Word of God. Verse 11, now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Imagine that reaction. He hears the words. It does something in his heart, and the only thing he knows how to respond is by tearing his clothes. I believe at this moment that we find here, I like to, I like to kind of to, sometimes to imagine what was really going on by the reactions of the people, the narrative that we have. I believe King Josiah, he had realized that his nation that he was responsible for had been completely disobedient to God. They had turned away. They had told God to hit the road. We don't want anything about you anymore. We don't want you. We don't want your laws. And he also knew that this nation had turned their back on a God that, as he read, that really loved them, that really cared for them, that really had a plan for them, that really wants the best for them. And then when he hears the words, his his stomach is in a knot. His heart drops into his gut. And what he hears is so convicting, it pierces his soul. And the one thing that he can do to express his guilt, his pain, his his realization of his betrayal of the God who actually loves him is to grab his clothes and to rip them. When's the last time you felt that way when you read the Word of God? I asked myself that same question when I read the story. But this is what King Josiah did. And then when we look at 2 Kings, you can turn over to chapter 23. It just didn't stop with him tearing his clothes. It wasn't just an emotional act of of guilt, an emotional act of almost repentance and sorrow. He responds this way in verse 23, starting in verses one Reading through verse 4, it says, Now the king sent them to gather all of the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah. Now, I want, when we read this, I want you to notice how often the word all is used. And with him, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. In other words, Josiah said, get everybody up here to the temple. Get everybody, every, every leader, every servant, everyone, every child, small and great. Get them to the temple. We're going to do business with God today. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood by a pillar and he made a covenant before the Lord. And this covenant was to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. Verse 4 And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, Asherah, and for the hosts of heaven. And he burned them outside of Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Within one day, a nation went from a pagan nation to a saved nation, just like that. Within one day, A nation that was sacrificing children on altars, took those same altars, burnt them, crushed them, and then said, get the ashes out of town and dump them somewhere else. And one day the king stood and he recommitted the life of his nation and himself back to God. And this is who we're going to be looking at today. This king Josiah, beautiful story. Actually, it's one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament because of how God used him because of his young age and that God just needed a person to say yes to him. God just needed someone who was willing to reject the status quo and what society is doing and where society is going and say, God, I'll follow you no matter what. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. My friends, God's still looking for someone like that today. God's still looking for someone who will reject everything the world and even sometimes a a well-meaning church is telling people to do and say, God, all I want is what you want to do and I'm going to pursue you and follow you and I'm going to drag everything that shouldn't be in here out of there and I'm going to burn it and I'm going to rededicate myself and my life to you. And so one lesson that I want to look at from King Josiah. So really today I have one point and everyone says, amen, Jason, they're like, hey, is not going to go very long today. It's going to be good. Just so you know, it's a long one point. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have one point. What lesson can we learn from King Josiah? And here it is. God is who he says he is, not who we say he is. God is who he says he is, not who... We say, he is. I was deeply challenged, actually, by this message. I wrestled over this and I evaluated my own heart. Because I believe God wants to do the same in all of our lives today. You know what? I don't want to come to church and just high-five somebody on the way out and say, hey, wasn't that a, wasn't that a great donut and a cup of coffee? I want God to transform me because I'll tell you why, I'm sick of me. Anyone else sick of you? I'm sick of me. I'm sick of the things that I constantly run up against and say, man, God, I I want you to deal with this. And I believe as we continue through this journey this morning that God wants to set us free in areas of our lives that will set us free to experience His goodness. And so God is who he says he is, not who we say he is. The tragic stories about Israel up to this point with King Josiah was man-making God whatever they wanted him to be. You know what, well, God, if I don't really like everything that you are, so I'm going to make a golden calf and I'm going to call that God. And then I'm going to create the parameters of that golden calf and how I'm to worship you and how I'm to worship it. And, and in other words, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Up to this point, they had made man-made images made out of just birds and reptiles and animals. And they said, you know, God, that, you know, that's a great, I'm, you know what, God, I, yeah, I'm sure that law worked back then, but this is now. And what you told the Israelites back then really doesn't apply to right now so thank you, but I'm going to make my own God, and I'm going to create whatever I want. And so really they, they came to the point of maybe saying things like this. Let's make God into something that allows us to do whatever our flesh allow, wants us to do. Let's make God whatever we, we want him to be so that I can do whatever I want to, to do. And this is what we see all through the story of the, new, of the Old Testament. We see these people who, they come up face-to-face with a living, real God, and they say, you know what, God, I don't want to do what you say I need to do, so therefore I'm going to make a God that allows me to do what my flesh wants to do. There's actually, there was an advertisement in television several years ago, it was a tech company, and they were talking about the internet and how their company could help you market and, and use the internet for whatever you wanted it to be. And they asked this question, what do you want the Internet to be? And The point of this question was that the Internet can be used in so many different ways. It can be used, as we know, for good, for bad, for banking, for, for what, whatever you want it to be, it can be used. It can virtually be anything you want it to be. We all have different desires, so the question is again, what do you want the Internet to be? In our day and age, in our time, and even in our society, there are a lot of people who come to God the same way they come to the Internet. They can ask the question, what do you want God to be? That's the same thing that the people of Israel were asking. You know what, what do I want God to be? And then they would just go and make God whatever they wanted him to be. The assumption, of course, is like the Internet, that God is a product of human ingenuity. So this whole idea of God is just like technology. It's actually been developed by man and for man. And in the case, in this case, it's to meet the spiritual needs of man. So however I feel like I need my spiritual needs to be met, that is the God that I'm going to shape. Along with this can also come the assumption that old ideas about God is useless. It's actually laughable. Because, well, that was God a long time ago. God, that, that same God isn't for today. It's much like technology. It's kind of like us. You, do you guys remember the times when people wore these things called beepers? And you'd wear a beeper and, and you, the beeper would go off. And you, that was cool because you thought. And you remember talking to your friends like, isn't this amazing? I can wear this little chunky blocky thing on the side of my, my belt. And someone calls it and the number shows up on it. It's pretty sweet. Or, if your wife wanted to get a hold of you and she wanted you to call you right now, she would put in there 911 and you knew, I better call my wife because she put 911 in there. And so then, if you were driving, you'd have to find these things calling. If you remember them, they're called payphones. And you have to pull up to the payphone and you'd have to pull up next to it and plunk a quarter in there. It didn't have Apple Pay, you had to actually use real money. You had to put a quarter in there and then lean out your car window, and the cord was always about six inches too short. And you, got, you had to lean out, and you'd dial the number, and then you, you'd explain it, and you'd hang up, rub your phone, and be like, wow, isn't technology awesome? I just got beat. Well, it's the same way sometimes how we look at God, because just as technology is constantly evolving and adapting to the wants and the convenience of man, then in our world we think God does the same thing. The God just changes because we change. And we can make God, God actually we can make God's slogan the same thing as I think Burger King's slogan. Anyone know what Burger King's slogan is? Have it your way. Whatever you want. No cheese, extra cheese. Put bacon, tomato. No, no matter, whatever. God, God, God. I want all love. I don't want any conviction. No judgment. No law. I want to do what I want. Oh, I, I want the prayer Jabez. I like that one. That one's really good. I want to be blessed. But also, I don't want to do anything for that blessing. So, and you just create your own package. And we just kind of, it's like a shopping cart. We walk down the aisles of God. And we just take off whatever we want. And then we just check out. And we're like, hey, I got God right here. So, we choose a God, actually, that's in favor of everything that I'm in favor of. And against everything that I'm against. And what happens is, we create a God made in the image of me. A God who approves of what I approve of and disapproves of, and disapproves of what I disapprove of, disapprove of. Our fleshly desire is to make God in our image. But here's the one fundamental problem, and I run up against this all the time in my life. Here's the one fundamental problem. With this whole idea that you can make God into whatever you want him to be. And the big problem is God, actually. <laughs> He's not moved by what I want. <laughs> he doesn't say, Jason, just 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 pick whatever you want from me. When God in- actually introduces himself in the old testament, it's fascinating. For the first time, he introduces himself this way to Moses. He says this, Moses, I am who I am. Very interesting when God does this, when he introduces himself, it's the most fundamental thing that he reveals about himself. He says, I am who I am, Moses. So get rid of any notion that I am whoever you want me to be. Because I am who I am. I am not whoever you want me to be. I am who I am, which is actually, Moses, everything that you're going to need. And this is exactly what Israel was doing in 2 Kings. They were making God into whoever they wanted him to be. And Josiah responded the way that he did because he believed the God of the Bible is defined. I want you to hear this by what the Bible says about him. He believed the God that he was committing his life to is defined by what the Word of God says about this God, not what anyone else says about him, because God in this Word says this, I am who I am. You know, it's interesting, the Apostle Paul writes about this very same thing to a different group of people at a different time, and they're doing the same things that we see in 2 Kings. If you have your Bibles, grab, open up to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. It would be great for you to follow along just so you can become, become familiar. And actually, as you're opening to that, just to know, Romans is the, it's my, one of my favorite books, actually. Because there is no book in the Bible that describes the work of Jesus Christ for the, for the life of a Christian than the book of Romans. And so you can read through that and really see what was accomplished and done for us. But book of Romans was written by Paul, written to people in Rome. And we're going to be starting in verse 22. Remember the same things that were happening in 2 Kings with the same things happening with Paul in Rome. Verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise. In other words, they claimed to know God. They became fools. Now how? How did they become fools? They exchanged, verse 23, the glory of an immortal God for images made to look like immortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Isn't this interesting? They're doing the same thing. They're exchanging a real God, immortal God for mortal things. Therefore, verse 24, God gave them over. And the sinful desires to their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another, one another. In other words, they went against the very nature of how God had created them. They said, You know what, God, well, I, but I I want to do this. My flesh desires to do this. So therefore, I'm gonna create a God that allows me to do that. Verse 25. So how what 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 happened? Once they created their own gods, once they said they rejected God and they wanted to make their own God, what happened in their life? What was the result of this? Well, verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. And let me explain: created things is this: anything that you make God. Anything different that you make God into than what he really is is a created thing because you've created it. So anything that doesn't fully envelop the fullness of who God is, his teachings, his word, his truth. And we say, but God is really this way. You've just created God. It's like when we read scripture and, man, we come across stuff that's really amazing. And we're like, where's the yellow highlighter? Man, we highlight that. I love that one. And then we come across something we don't really like. And we're like, where's the black sharpie? Where's that one? And then I highlight that with the black sharpie. What just happened? You just created your own God. Because God is I am who I am. Verse 25 Because of this, because they had done this, because they went against the very nature of how God created them, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lusts for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. In other words, man, or they made God who they wanted him to be. And then it goes on, verse 28, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. Again, this was a result of trying to make God who they wanted him to be. They become filled, verse 29, with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, the full of envy, murder, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy, although they know God's righteous decree. Catch that. Although they know God's righteous decree. Although they know the truth, although they know what the Bible says about God, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but they also approve of those who practice them. This is exactly what was happening in 2 Kings. Society has actually has 4,000 years ago, you had Second 2 Kings. 2,000 years ago, you have Romans. Right now, 2016, you have the exact same thing. People making God and who they want him to be. It's interesting, at the, at the end of this passage, it talks about that those who approve of those doing those evil things are just as guilty as those doing those evil things. And so when society or even churches or well-meaning Christians begin to say, you know what, God, God really doesn't mean that homosexuality is a sin. He really doesn't mean that, that it's okay. According to Scripture, those who approve of that are just as guilty as those who are engaged in that. Or it's okay for us to just, whatever I want to do, whatever is okay in society, whatever is the mainstream thing, God, I want all the blessing, I want all the, all the good things, I want all your love, I want all of that, but this other stuff about how I need to live my life, I'm going to pick and choose from that. And what happens, you create your own God, made in your own image. And if you read Romans 1, you see, The eroding of morality. One step after another step after another step. Not just in society, but in the church. And we, we, want to, we want to worship things that make us feel good. But the things about God that make us feel very uncomfortable, we would rather not have those. Our temptation... It's to make God whatever we want Him to be. But my friends, that will never happen. It will never happen. So here's the big question then, Jason. And I I, want to cover some of these other things later in that passage. That it's interesting that Paul also talks about sexual sin in the same way he does about arrogance and being boastful and being wicked and being gritty. We like to highlight some of them and say, oh, those people, they're really bad. We like to ignore those other things. What happens, again, we're still creating God in our own image that allows us to feel better about ourselves instead of really just repenting and being who God wants us to be. So the big question is, if we can't make God into who we want him, and God is who he is, then the big question is this, who is God? Now, here's the deal. The Bible answers that question. And I want to talk to you for a moment. You might be thinking, wow, Pastor Jason, this is a real heavy word for us today. Listen, it is a good word. Anytime the word is preached, it is life-giving. And I want to come. I want God's word to be like a bucket of water poured over my tainted brain to clean out every bit of, of bad thinking and canals that have been corroded by the world so that we as a church can stand pure and holy before our Father. Amen? So who is God? The Bible is very clear. It says this that God is love. Which means this He is absolutely committed to seek the good of the objects of His love. He is committed to seek the good of you, of me. So how does God love? The Bible is very clear that, or who does God love? The Bible is very clear that God so loved the what? The world. That he gave his son. So he shows his love to the world. Just not to you and me. Just not to Christians. He loved the whole world. Because while you and I were, were sinners and filthy and waddling in our own filth, God sent his own son to die for us. We didn't do anything for him. And he, get, he chose to love us. He chose to sacrifice for us. Actually, Jesus set The example on how we are to love everyone that we read in Romans chapter one and how we are to interact with them. We he loved them before they were perfect. He loved them. He loved you and me while we were nasty. But he loved us. God is love. So he is completely committed to seeking the good of everyone in the world, which are the objects of his love. So God is love. But here's the other side of this amazing, loving God. God is also holy. And we hear that a lot, holy God. And we usually think of a God that's waiting in heaven with his two-by-four with a couple nails in it so he can swing a long two-by-four and knock us across the head. Because God's holy. Watch out. But this is what the holiness of God means. It means this. He is opposed to anything that would destroy the objects of his love. So we are the objects of his love, but he is a holy God, which which means he's opposed to destroying everything that can destroy the objects of his love. Because he is who he is. Because he created all of us to live in the, in the good of who he is. And to experience the good of his love. This is actually one of the most fundamental things of love. I want you to hear this. You cannot love a person without at the same time hating what can destroy them. You cannot love a person without at the same time hating what can destroy them. If there was someone that I knew of that was out to destroy my family, it was, let's just say, it's one particular man and he is out, he is dead set on killing my family. And if any time I saw him, if he was in the, the, the eye shot that I could see him, listen, I would run him out of town. Why? Because I love my family. And I am opposed to anything that can destroy my family, as you, you are as well. But then turn the table. What if, what if I said, you know what, it's okay. He can be around my family. It's okay. You know what, I love him too. You would think, Jason, you are failing as a husband and a father. Because whatever... If something or someone was set at destroying my family, guess what? I will be set at destroying them. I would be set at setting up boundaries, making sure they don't come close, making sure we keep things. I would lay down laws. I'd sit down with my family, make sure this is, this is going on because this is out to destroy you. I would lay it all out. I'd talk to them about it. I would say, if it becomes clear, listen, you pull out the, the baseball bat and you knock them across the head if you need to. Whatever it takes. It's actually many times that maybe there are people here who can understand this. It is like a wife with an alcoholic husband. She loves her husband. But she hates the alcohol and hates what it has made her husband to become. You cannot love and at the same time be neutral about that which is destroying the objects of your love. You can't be neutral about it because that's not love. We see this all through the Bible. A holy God that hates what is destroying the objects of his love. He hates it. Josiah realized the hatred of God towards the idol worship, towards the sacrifices made to other gods, the acts of sin being done within the nation of Israel. And Josiah saw the love of God that wants the best for these people. He's committed for their good. And this is why Josiah aligns his life with God's commands. And he destroys that which was destroying the people. Most of chapter 23, if you were to read it, is Josiah dragging the, the altars of Baal, the Asherah poles and everything that is, that is not worshiping the one true God and crushing it into powder, demonstrating before all the people, I will not have any of this in my house. And he burns it. Imagine the bonfire. Remember, years and years and years of, of idol worship and pagan worship. Imagine the fire that's going on. And the people standing back two days before they had just made a sacrifice to that. They're thinking, I, 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 think, I think I'm going to worship the one true God now. And Josiah demonstrating and aligning his life with what he read in the word. Because destroying what was destroying the people was expressing God's love and goodness to the people. Paul understood this. And this is why Paul, and this passage, tells the greedy, the murderer, the boastful, the merciless, the adulterer, the homosexual, the gossiper, the slanderer, the arrogant, the disobedient... In chapter 2, verse 4, listen to this. That if they understood the full goodness of God, that it would lead them to repentance. Paul says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. In other words, once you begin to understand that God's ways are just not random ways to control you. They are ways so that it can be a conduit and a channel for his goodness in your life if we understood that God is our creator and he made us to live life in a way that will allow us to experience his goodness, that if we will align our lives with him, all of a sudden it will open up the gates of heaven and we'll begin to fulfill and walk in the goodness and the power of God and for which you were created for. Because the life that you and I desire can only be found in the ways of God who say this, I am who I am. I created you to experience my goodness, so please come to me. Please remove all things from your life that doesn't line up with me. I'm a God of love, but I'm also a God that is dead set against anything that can destroy you. Let me show you my true goodness through my son, Jesus. Jesus. Let me destroy the sin that is destroying you. And I will help you live the life that you've always wanted to live. So if we go back to the lady with the alcoholic husband, her problem, while she loved her husband, and also alcoholics also hate what is destroying them as well. But while she loved her husband and hated what was destroying him, he did not have the power to overcome what was destroying him. And neither did she. No matter how much she loved him, she didn't have the power. No matter how much he hated it, he didn't have the power. But God, God can do all things. No one has ever taught God the meaning of the word defeat. No one has ever stripped him from going where he chooses to go. No one has ever put up a roadblock and said, you know what? Sorry, God, you can't go here. You can't deal with this. God loves every person. He loves you. And he loves me. And he loves us as a church. But he hates what is destroying us. But also, he has the power to destroy what is destroying us. Matter of fact, he's actually already destroyed it. He's already paid the price for it. And that's through his son, Jesus Christ who took the power away from that which was destroying the objects of his love. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.